over to Matthew chapter 16, verses 21 through 23 as we begin our study together today. There you'll find Jesus gathered together with his special disciples. Peter, obviously, was one of them that was with him. And, and this story has always struck me as, as something a little bit special because I can sympathize with Peter in this situation. There were so many times as you read through the Scriptures, through our New Testaments, that you find Peter, he just stuck his foot right in his mouth. And I can sympathize with that. Some of you, you may agree with me wholeheartedly. But I can sympathize with Peter because also he had an incredible love for a dear friend. He loved his friend too much to think about seeing him suffer. And so Jesus, he explains to his apostles how he, he has to go into Jerusalem and there he would suffer at the hands of the chief priests and the elders and the Pharisees. And then he'd be brought before the Gentiles. And there he would be scourged and crucified and then raised again the third day. He goes through all of that. He tells how he must go and suffer at the hands of men. And Peter takes him to the side. Peter gets Jesus away from everyone else. And he says, now Jesus, far be it from you. God forbid that you do this. You remember how Jesus responded to him? And, and this really is what's intrigued me about this passage of Scripture. He responded with a rebuke. He says, get away from me, Satan. You're a hindrance to me. He says, your minds aren't set on the things of God, but they're set on the things of man. And I've often struggled with this passage of Scripture. At times, it's like, yes, Jesus, you need to get on to him because he's thinking that way. But then I can't help but think that that's exactly the way I would think. My best friend. If my best friend was to say something like that to me, I must go somewhere to suffer. I must go somewhere to be killed. I would say, no, I don't think so. You're out of your mind. And I think that that would be a very noble thing for any one of us to say. I don't think there's a single one of us that if we were placed in the same position and we were that close to Jesus, I don't think any one of us would say, yes, Jesus, you go right ahead. You do that. But if you notice something that Jesus says to Peter, he said, you're not setting your mind on the things of God. You're setting your mind on the things of man. See, there are two ways of thinking. There's an earthly way of thinking. And sometimes we think about those things that are an earthly way of thinking, and we think, oh, well, well that's the sinful ways of the world. And I don't think that way anymore because I'm no longer conformed to the world. I've been transformed by the renewing of my mind. Church, I want to tell you something. Even as we're walking the transformed life, there is every bit of temptation for us to think with an earthly way of thinking. 
to think with the mind of man. And Satan would love nothing more than to convince Christians to live their lives thinking that they're serving God when in fact their minds are as earthly as they can be. It's basically pursuing God in the flesh rather than pursuing God in the Spirit. There's an earthly way of thinking, setting our minds on the things of man. And then there's the heavenly way of thinking, setting our minds on the things of God. It becomes easy for us sometimes to set our minds on the earthly things. And in our noble pursuits in life, this is what we do. We reach up. I mean, after all, that's the natural way that we do things. Think about our world today. We live in a do-it-yourself world. Some of you will remember these quotes that I'm going to share with you this morning. For example, if you want something done right, then what? You've got to do it yourself. And that's a noble way of thinking. But that's basically saying, in a spiritual sense, that's basically us saying, I'm reaching up to a God who cannot be reached. But it's all about what I'm doing to reach up to Him. Now, there are certain aspects of that that are, that are true, and that's not wrong altogether. But let me give you another quote. Ask not what your country can do for you, but ask what you can do for your country. Yes, again, that's an earthly way of thinking. It's a noble way of thinking, certainly, but it's an earthly way. I can't tell you how many times that we've thought of that in regard to what we're supposed to be doing as Christians. Maybe we, we ask and say, ask not what God can do for you, but what you can do for God. But then we think about heavenly things, and, and things appear a little bit different. See, there's a grace way of thinking. Grace isn't just a way of salvation that's different from law. It's not just a different uh, uh, system of salvation, but it's a different way of thinking altogether. This is the way that Christianity is different from any other religion in the world. This is the way that, that Christianity is different from the concepts of men. This is the way that Christianity is different from noble pursuits, because rather than us reaching up to God, God reaches down to us. And if we fail to understand that concept, then we fail to understand Bible. And if all we ever do is focus on this earthly pursuit, this fleshly pursuit of God, then we'll never get it right. We'll constantly be beating ourselves up. We'll constantly be living in fear. We'll constantly be filled with, well, well, I've got to do this and this and this and this. And we'll be beating ourselves up rather than recognizing what God has already done for us and responding to Him. Christianity is about God reaching down. Now I want to turn your attention over to our scripture reading for this morning in 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, beginning in verse 9, there, there's this urgent need among all Christians. 
an urgent need for us to revisit, reevaluate, and reestablish how God came down. See, there's a great need among Christ's followers to abandon fleshly pursuits of God and rediscover the God who came down to man. Now, we sing these songs about the love of God. We sing songs like the one we just finished, Lord, I lift your name on high. Think about the words of that song. This would be the thinking of our lives. This should be the motivation of everything that we do, with, with our motivation of why we worship, why we study the Bible, why we serve others, why we love others. Lord, I lift your name on high. Think about the chorus of that song. He came from heaven to earth to show the way. From the earth to the cross, my debt to pay. From the cross to the grave, from the grave to the sky. Lord, I lift your name on high. Think about at that moment when Jesus died upon the cross, his arms spread out on the cross. He cries out, it is finished. Into your hands I commit my spirit. And when Jesus died, the, temp, the veil in the temple was torn from top to bottom. And a lot of times when we see that symbol, we think about Hebrews chapter 9 and Hebrews chapter 10, and we think of how we're able to draw near to God by the blood of Christ and how, how we now have access into the holy of holies because of the blood of Christ and how we are able to confidently go before God. But recognize this. It was torn from top to bottom because that permission, that access came from heaven above. Now think about 1 John 4 verse 9. You take a look at chapter 1 of the gospel of John and what you see in the beginning of John 1, it's all summarized in 1 John 4, 9 and 10. What God the Son did, He came to earth according to the plan of the Father. Jesus came into this world even though the world didn't know Him. He came into His own, and His own received Him not. He came in the flesh, and He dwelt among us. And all of that can be summarized in 1 John 4, verse 9. Take a look at the passage. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. So let's start at the top and work our way to the bottom. In this is the love of God. What was the love of God? God sent. That love then was made manifest. How was it made manifest? How was the love of God demonstrated? Well, it was demonstrated through His Son. Now we come down to the bottom. To whom was it demonstrated? He came among us into the world. So this is the way that it's set up from top to bottom. The love of God, God sent, was made manifest through His Son among us in the world and for this purpose that we might live through Him. 
Now reading on in the verse 10, verse 10 follows this up. In this is love. Not that we have loved God. This is love. You want a definition of love? John says this is it. This is the definition of love. You want to know what love is? This is love. It's not that we loved God, but that He loved us. And He sent His Son as the propitiation for our sins. So once again, top to bottom, here's the way it works out. God sent. He loved us, and He sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. This is love. He loved us first. 1 John 4 verse 19 tells us this is love. We love others. We love God. Why? Because He first loved us. What's the operating structure of the church? He loved us. What's the motivation for our living for Him and us operating by His commands? He loved us. What about our relationships with one another? He loved us. Think about Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, right? There you have the top to bottom. Be tenderhearted to one another, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. That's the heavenly way of thinking. That's Scripture as it reads. But oftentimes we read that verse with an earthly spin to it. The earthly way of thinking would be, I must forgive others so that through Christ I can please God. The heavenly way of thinking, God sent His Son to die for me, therefore I will be forgiving of others. I will be tenderhearted toward others. I will be patient with others. Now let's turn in our Bibles to perhaps... One of our favorite passages of all over in John chapter 3. Gospel of John chapter 3. Back at the, the very first chapter, or the very first of chapter 3, there's a man by the name of Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a famous teacher in Israel at the time. If anybody had it right, it was Nicodemus. And so he comes to Jesus by night, and he says, Jesus... We know that you are one who has come from God because no one can do the things you do unless he comes from God. And so at least here, he's admitting that, that there must be something special about Jesus. Now, Jesus doesn't go into conversation, but instead he jumps right to the point. He says, Nicodemus, you need to be born of the Spirit. Shock factor. Here would be a man that believed he was entitled to be a child of God. He was entitled to be in the kingdom. That when the Messiah came again, he would be entitled to be a, a royal subject to the king and be on top of the world simply because of his bloodline, because of, of his teaching, because he was part of the Pharisaical sect whose whole purpose was to make sure that, that holiness was in Israel. And so when Jesus says, you need to be born again, what a shock that would have been to Nicodemus. It wouldn't make, make any sense to him. And so when you come down to verse 12 of John chapter 3, after a little bit of discussion, 
Jesus says, if I had told you earthly things and you did not believe, essentially, if you don't believe from the shock factor, how are you going to believe if I tell you something greater? How are you going to believe if I tell you of heavenly things? Going to verse 13. Jesus says, No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. So let me tell you a little something about heavenly things. See, God, in an eternal covenant among Himself, before the world began, before the ages began, before the world was even created, knowing that we were sinners, knowing that we were weak, knowing that we were enemies, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, He determined, He had the desire to save you and me. That was His plan. That was His purpose. And it was determined all in the mind of God before the world even began. And so how was he going to accomplish this? See, at the right time, love always finds a way. At the right time, Christ died for us. He descended from heaven, the Son of Man, to bear my guilt and your guilt. Verses 14 and 15 of John chapter 3. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. So now Jesus here, He's calling Nicodemus' mind back to the story out of the book of Numbers. Jesus tells Nicodemus, just as Moses had to lift the serpent. So let's think back to Numbers for just a minute. The Israelites, as they often did, they were complaining. They were grumbling against God, and God sent poisonous snakes into the camp to start biting the people. And the people were dying. And as they were watching the people around them die, they they began to, to cry out to Moses for help. And Moses interceded on behalf of the people. God said, fashion this bronze serpent. And whoever looks upon that serpent, that bronze serpent, whoever looks at it will live. And so Moses had to raise this serpent up so the people could be spared, so that they could be saved because they were dying. As a matter of fact, the serpents weren't even removed from the camp. They just, if, if, if they were bitten by a serpent, they needed to go look at the bronze serpent. And now Jesus says this was all a foreshadowing, a prefigure, a picture of better things to come, a picture of Jesus himself. John chapter 12, in verse 32, Jesus would say, when the Son of Man is lifted up, He will draw all people unto Him. Jesus is the great Magnet. He is the drawing force. When Jesus is lifted up, when we portray Him, He is the magnet. You want to know what you should do to convince somebody they ought to worship God? You know, occasionally I hear this, and you probably hear it from time to time as well, 
people will say, well, I don't have to worship God every single week. Let me tell you something. The next time you hear somebody say they don't have to worship God, tell them. Say, you're right. You don't have to. Because evidently you haven't been convinced of the love of God. You haven't been convinced of the story of the Bible. And some people, they'll say anything. They'll say, well, I don't have to do this, even though the Scripture lays it out plainly for us. Even when the Scripture says, this is how you should live the Christian life, some say, well, I don't have to do it. They haven't been convinced of the love of God. If you're here this morning, or if you're tuned in this morning, and it's a constraint to you, if you're sitting in a pew or if you're sitting on your couch or in your recliner, if you're singing songs or partaking of the Lord's Supper with the attitude, this is what I must do to get to heaven, then you fail to understand. You fail to comprehend the love of God. All of these things we do, but why? Well, if we're thinking earthly, we just do it and we go through the motions. I remember hearing a church leader several years ago, and I've used this illustration before in the past as well, but he was making the complaint, some of these Christians, all they ever do is they just show up at worship services and they punch the time clock, and then you never see them during the week. And think about that. Reflecting about that over the past several days, I came to the conclusion, I think I know what he wanted to do. He wanted to give an overtime punch clock. Punch the time clock on Sunday, but now you should be expected to to punch the time clock all week as well. Church, maybe what we need to do is throw out the old time clock analogy and start convincing people of the love of God. I'm convinced that if we want to grow a church, then the members must be convinced of the love of God. If we want to to change a community, then we must convince the community of the love of God. And the way we do that is through ourselves. If we're ever going to win anyone over to the cause of Christ, it's because it's going to begin right here with a greater understanding of the love of God. John 3 Verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Let's start at the top. Let's work our way down. God so loved the world. See, God gave his son for those who would have otherwise perished. Verse 17, for God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through Him. And sometimes I've had a problem with this verse. Not not a problem with it because it came from God. I had a problem with it because I had difficulty with it. Because I understand that we're all going to sit before the judgment seat of Christ. But this verse says he didn't come to condemn. The purpose of Jesus coming to the earth 
Now, there are other purposes that, that he will fulfill. He'll fulfill them on the day of judgment. But his purpose of coming to this earth was so that we might be saved. That's what God did. And here's how it works. Here's the thinking that starts with God and works its way down to man. Here's the thinking that begins with heaven and works its way down to earth. Here's the thinking that begins at the top and works its way down to the bottom. God had a heavenly plan. He reached down, just as He did in the days of the Exodus. He heard their cries. He knew their sufferings. He saw their afflictions. And He came down to deliver them. He didn't choose them because they were a great nation. He chose them because He loved them. And He wanted to deliver them. He wanted to save them. He reached down to save us from the consequences of our sins. This is God's love, not to condemn, but to save and save those who believe. And that's a belief in the sense of trust, in the sense of dependence upon Him, not just believing the facts, but depending on God for everything. So going back to what Jesus told Peter, two ways of thinking. There's an earthly way of thinking that says, I must love God first. And what's meant by that statement? Not meaning I will seek Him first, but instead I will love Him before He loves me. That's the earthly way of thinking. The heavenly way of thinking is God loved me first. Can you say that? yourself. God loved me first. Elders, you want to know how you can serve the church? Let those words resonate in your hearts. God loved me first. Deacons, think about your service, the things that you do for the work of the church here. Let those words resonate in your heart. God loved me first. Teachers, ministers, anybody else who does some type of service by way of teaching. Why do you teach? Why do I teach? Why do I instruct others? Why do I try to figure out? Why do I, I try to figure out a way to be able to take something from God's Word and insert it into the minds of those who are coming together? God loved me first. We love because God loved us first. Christians, why do you worship? Why are you even here? Or why are you tuned in this morning? Why are you taking the Lord's Supper? Why are you singing the songs? Why are you involved in service projects or anything like that? Because God loved us first. Church, it's time. It's time for us to abandon fleshly pursuits of God and rediscover the God who came down. So this morning as we sing this song, if there is a desire in your heart to respond to that love, to accept it, to, to believe it with all your heart, to depend on Him and, and make a change in your life and to come to the occasion where God will forgive you of your sins and impart His Holy Spirit within you 
and at baptism, we encourage you this morning to reach out and to let us know. Contact us by phone. Contact us by email. Send us a text. However you can reach out, reach out and let us know. We want to help you. We want to assist you in your obedience to the gospel. Maybe there's a Christian who for so long you've been battling this war with the flesh. You, you, you want to reach up to God, but you recognize that you can't ever reach Him. I want to encourage you this morning to change your way of thinking and remind you that God loved you first. And in Jesus, He saved you. As we sing this song this morning, I want you to reflect on your life. I want us all to reflect on our lives. And if we have a need, reach out and let someone know. Let's sing together.